0: Thanks for tuning into the Do Justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Allred. Justice and art. What do these two things have in common? More than you may think. A few days ago, I sat down with my friend Alexander Carpenter to talk about art and justice. Now, I've known Alex for close to two decades, and he's one of those people who's knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics. He's someone you can talk with about pretty much anything and have a good time and learn something from the conversation. As a journalist, thinker, activist, theologian, and art professor, Alex has some really great insights into this particular topic. Oh, and if you stick around to the end, there's also a bonus feature where we talk a little bit about our individual views on a current hot topic, guns and gun control. It's not totally about art, but, you know, fun to talk about and definitely touching on justice. All in all, this was a great conversation with Alex, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Alex Carpenter, thanks so much for joining me today. You, by the way, are the first um, guest that I have had here on this podcast that's actually joining me in person in the studio, which is a little echoey. It's incredible here. Is it?
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: (laughs) It's got a good good energy. We we will maybe have you describe the energy sometime (laughs) since you're an artist, and, and that's one of the reasons we have you here. So, Let's start out with with you telling us a little bit about yourself, your past, what you're doing now, and maybe what you envision yourself doing in the future. You have a very interesting uh, professional um, profile, and so what what do you do?
1: Um, well, thanks. It's an honor to be chatting with you today, and we've known each other for a while, and it's great to kind of reconnect. Um, I teach part-time at Pacific Union College, and I'm on the communication advisory board for the Pacific Union, and I'm on the board for the Adventist Forum, which publishes Spectrum Magazine. So those are kind of three things that occupy uh, my time and interests. Nice. And what's your educational
0: background? You have degrees in what areas? So
1: I... Um, Went to school, uh, went to, I've been to, well, homeschooled, public schooled, church schooled, and self-supporting schooled. Um, I went to Andrews University and graduated from there with degrees in religion and English literature. And then I went to the Graduate Theological Union and studied art and religion and took classes in film from University of California, Berkeley. So those are the kind of weird mix of, of, of interests that I have. And out of that, I think something that I owe a lot to um, my professors at Andrews was a, a, an interest in whether I'm reading the Bible or great literature or watching film or looking at visual art. I am always interested in interpretation. Neat.
0: You have an interest in, um, well, I mean, I follow you on Twitter and, and I've read a lot of the things that you've written for Spectrum and other things. And I, it seems like you have some interest in in politics, in social justice, in um, obviously art and, and even kind of activism, Yeah. right? And so today I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about art and justice and how those two things mix and intersect and how they can further each other.
1: Great topics.
0: So I wanted to start out getting your thoughts on a, um, a story back from 2013, 2014. Um, there was a student at Columbia University. Her name was Emma Solkowitz. I think I'm saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a visual arts major there. She um, filed a complaint with the university saying that this other student had uh, raped her in her dorm room. And so the university did a little investigation. They're like, no, it didn't happen. Um, so then she went to the police and the police basically, she said, treated her badly and declined to, uh, you know, pursue charges. The DA's office as well did not find any uh, reasonable suspicion. And so they didn't pursue anything against this guy. And so, uh, this gal took things into her own hands and she decided that she was going to produce this, this work of performance art that she entitled Mattress Performance, Carry That Weight. It was her senior thesis. You've heard about this, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, so she carried around this 50-pound dorm mattress all over campus. I remember seeing this in the news, you know, pictures of it, and it seemed really kind of um, depressing and super impactful at the same time. And it it just, as I was thinking about art and justice, you know, whatever your thoughts on the situation i described, whatever people might think about that, whether – you know, this guy actually did it or not. Art can be super powerful is what that taught me. Sure. And is this an example of, you know, people using art to maybe shock other people into doing justice? What do you see in this story?
1: Um, it's such an interesting, uh, story for me because, um, it to me actually connects a little bit with, um, Christian theology. Hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, I'll return to that idea, but when I look at a work of art, I think it's important to recognize that it's, that there's ideas involved there. There's emotion, but there's also physicality. And that's, you know, when you're looking at a painting, there's um, color applied to canvas with, you know, some if they choose to use a frame that's mm-hmm. on a wall or there's a sculpture that's made out of bronze or stone or you know, we're looking at paper cranes hanging. So there's a kind of a, a materiality that I think um, can be a way of accessing what's going on. So I think of this work here, there's also a, the weight of it. She's carrying around wow. this very heavy mattress which connects to feelings of guilt and shame The burden of justice that she feels that others haven't taken up or should take up. The way that we, when we talk about um, caring for each other in society, we often talk about carrying each other's burdens. So those sort of associations, I think, make art a really helpful way of getting into such difficult topics like sexuality, violence, power, and Christian theology is connected to visual symbols, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or New Testament, and obviously this one has a clear connection to, for me at least, Jesus carrying the cross. Hmm. Where Or you have someone bearing the burdens of sort of individual sin but also collective responsibility. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. So yeah, it could talk. be controversial, sorry.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you know, and, and so you bring up... This, this concept of like art in the Bible or these symbols and things Mm -hmm. like that. And and that is interesting. In fact, before, um, you know, thinking about having you here to talk about this, I hadn't thought a lot about art in the Bible, but then I started to think about it and I was like, man, the Bible's full of art. Can you give us some examples of how God has used art or maybe the prophets have used art or just where art shows up in scripture?
1: Um, you know, I won't do this chronologically, but I'll do this um, the way that it uh, sort of when I free associate with how I was raised as an Adventist, um, I sort of understood it. One of the one of the most obvious ones for me is the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. When we're always talking about types and antitypes um, in the Old Testament, connecting to you know sort of our New Testament interpretations of what. This Jewish culture means for um, Christians around the world across time and space the idea of you know not only the altars but also the attention that was um, taken with the meanings of colors and stones and the position through the sanctuary. To be honest, I don't think a lot about that now, but I grew up with around a lot of folks who really focused on that process and the meanings, and I respect that in a way because they did care about um, something in a really um, deep way and a spiritual way. And I think that gets translated um, into uh, a helpful critique of some of that as well, because the prophets come along and say, look, you folks are focused on the physical and we want you to be focused on the spiritual. Mm -hmm. You're focused on what you do around an altar, which is Mm -hmm. a really interesting work of symbolic sculpture. Mm -hmm. And here there's, Folks who are dying around you. Mm. There's poor people. There's widows and orphans. And there's people outside your gates who want to know your truth. All of which is being neglected because you're so focused on rituals, which is a mm. part of art. Performance is a uh, connects with ritual in really interesting ways. Interesting.
0: And, and you know, as you're talking, I'm even thinking about the the sacrificial animals themselves as a form of like performance art, right? Yeah, in a absolutely, way. Interesting.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: And, and I like that connection you made between the, um, well, or the contrast there that you're drawing between, you know, okay, so we're so focused on the symbol that we forget to do justice. Really? Mm-hmm. What are some examples in, in the Bible as well as in history where you have seen art playing a role in furthering justice in society in some way?
1: Furthering justice, um, you know, let me give you an example since you brought up that idea of uh, animal and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this directly answers your question, but maybe I'll end up there somewhere here. Um, there's a work that I love showing students by an uh, anonymous artist named Banksy out there. Um, and by the way, is he really anonymous? Well, do we know who he is? <laughs> There's, there's some ideas, but nothing official. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, he's the rare artist who has somehow eluded the incredible focus on fame and all the cameras that are around, um, especially in London, where he is apparently based. Um, but he, um, you know, I went to a, a show that he did down um, at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. Uh, It was a street art focused show, so really, you know, drew my attention to what's going on with graffiti, what's happening with, you know, made me appreciate some of the interesting architecture in our urban environments. But he had a work there that, um, um, took a a frozen frame from the Rodney King beating video, um, So four police officers standing around with batons, Mm. um, hitting Rodney King, kicking Rodney King. There was no Rodney King in this picture, though. Instead, there was a piñata. Wow. And when I looked at it, I was moved because I've hit piñatas. And I've seen things pour out of piñatas And whenever I share this with other folks or or look at it, it provides a really interesting, I think, opening for us to talk about the, not only the violence that's part of that, not only the issues of race and power that are part of it, but there's a kind of tangible um, um, physical uh, connection that happens when we are made to sort of participate in that action and become aware of the fact that, you know, there's a whole larger structure of um, privilege that allows something Mm. like that to happen. Mm -hmm. And someone was feeling that pain that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a sort of, I hate to say it this way, but there's a sort of... um, You beat the pinata and it opens up access to the goods inside. And there's a sort of, you know, almost physical pleasure that is happening. When we're watching that video, those policemen are deriving pleasure from, you know, causing someone to bleed. Wow. So when I look at that and then I think about when we're talking about some of the what I would say kind of performative aesthetic experiences in Christian theology, say, um, one of my favorites is communion. We're talking Mm. about what, what are we, we're symbolically drinking blood and breaking a body. Mm. Wow. And so that helps, you know, a work like that helps me think about the ways that, um, that act is not just about my own brokenness mm-hmm. and my own participation in Christ's suffering, but it helps me realize the ways that we are also breaking each other's bodies. Wow, interesting! Man, you're just opening up
0: all sorts of interesting avenues to <laughs> yeah, go down let's here. Go. <laughs> what about like <laughs> baptism, right? And and all these things. Incredible.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I mean, that's a, You're you're watching a, a performance of death and resurrection when you watch a baptism. Mm. That's mm. you know deeply connected with our own sort of unconscious um, experiences with both f- fear of death, mm-hmm. but also um, you know, the unknown of mm-hmm. what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have, of course, Christian theology that gives us a sense about what's supposed to happen and how we should prepare and what it means. Mm-hmm. But to watch it happen in front of us, I don't think, you know, I've watched lots of baptisms and haven't thought this way, but if I allow myself to, it is a really profound uh, witnessing of someone choosing to um, enact an a, a, one of the most scary things that humans confront which is their non-existence mm. and to be brought back into existence in a community I love watching a baptism um, because people are cheering and there's a real moment I, I it makes me appreciate the ritual um, values that um, communities mm-hmm. um, can um, sort of reiterate and I wish we had more rituals. I wish that, you know, we kind of celebrate when someone comes into a community and then we like read off, oh yeah, they left. Like in the <laughs> second vote and they're gone. You know? And I wish that we uh, could really, you know, kind of give people entrances and exits in a communal way.
0: Huh. Interesting. Um there's some old testament uh examples of um Performance art, I guess. I mean, I was thinking about, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk yeah. about these with you. Um, Ezekiel the prophet, for example, did a whole bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's Ezekiel 4. One of, by the way, a favorite passage for Adventists, you and I are both Adventists, um, was, is Ezekiel four six, where it talks about, you know, I've given you a day for a year, right? But right like around, surrounding that text, is this, um, this performance art piece where he's basically you know, creating a little Jerusalem and erecting a siege rampart against it and doing all this stuff. He's baking bread on, on cow dung and then eating it and all these just weird things that, um, have meaning. But I was, you know, it's interesting. You look at this, you look at the book of Daniel, right? Which is full of, you know, God giving these beasts and other types of, um, uh, symbols there as a form of art to Daniel um,
1: narrative too. It was about, helping. okay. It was yes. like connecting to a story. Sure. And, you, and in some way creating some kind of meaning out of that visionary experience, which got embodied a little bit by Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and, and
0: just talk about that a little bit.
1: Cause I, I, let's
0: talk about art being used to further injustice too. Sure. You know, I mean, Daniel three is an example maybe of that, right? He creates a statue, Mm -hmm. worship it. And if you don't, you're going to die. Are there examples in history of where art has been used, uh, to, you know, promote injustice?
1: You know, symbols are, um, I think interesting. The term is multivalent, which means that they can have lots of different uh, Mm -hmm. meanings. Um, conspiracy theorists are great at pointing this out, but you know, they'll create meanings out of things that really have no, um, intended meaning in that direction. But by linking a few symbols together, they've uncovered the fact that (laughs) some pastor (laughs) is really (laughs) promoting the mark of the beast. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I hate to invoke Adolf Hitler studied Mm. art and, um, You know, he was surrounded by some really sophisticated um, propagandists who used um, symbols that were connected to um, the sort of northern Germanic myth-making that he was interested in propagating. He had a filmmaker who is um, really um, still recognized, despite her work for him, Lenny Riefenstahl, who made an incredible film called uh, Triumph of the Will mm. that um, you know, even in our sort of over mediated age still can be very um, moving to folks who are watching lots of people give um, um, praise to Hitler and it's incredibly effective. so mm. I, and and she's using the same things that lot, you know filmmakers use, in all of their films interesting angles but um and great music and you know you could argue that it's a work of art
0: you know along those lines um i was recently watching the charlie chapman movie that he did i you would know the oh. name that he was mocking um
1: uh, yes
0: nazism basically yes, but not it's calling so it that good
1: oh what is it called the was it the dic- something dictator yeah
0: it was something and it was like but anyway, it, it was profound and it, and it was neat because it really angered the Nazis at the time, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it was right before Hitler had actually he was coming to power and he hadn't you know, I think uh England had not yet decided what they wanted to do and he hadn't invaded the rest of Europe necessarily, but he um but but you know, again, another example of art being used to in your in your case, your example, you know, promoting
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, totalitarianism, but it can also be used in the other direction.
1: You know, there's a, a group of artists that started out really as theorists in the late 50s and kind of ended their um, movement in the mid 70s called the Situationist International. They mm. kind of came out of the um, kind of French student um, um, political movements of the late fifties. Um, and we get something from them, um, which is called the happening, which was kind of big in the sixties, where you combined, um, visual art, music, performance in public spaces. And one of their theories was, um, they called it to which is like turnabout. And it was kind of what you're talking about here, I think, um, with something like what Charlie Chaplin is doing in that great film. Because he's taking some of the tropes, there's weird symbols that kind of mm-hmm. look like the swastika right, right, and even the mannerisms of the salute mm-hmm. um and and mocking it and but he's using a little bit of it and subverting it, and that's what I think um is interesting about a lot of artists to me is when they're kind of doing that little turnabout that little subversion. They'll, they'll take something that people invest with respect or fear. Mm. And they'll, if they're, you know, particularly deft, they'll actually undermine it in ways that can be really freeing for people.
0: You know, not to compare, um, our current president to Hitler. Yeah, okay sure. so i know that some of my <laughs> listeners might accuse me of doing that if i say this at this juncture but it is interesting how um like late night you know tv sure yeah. uh, does a great job i think of making their point yeah by making people laugh and they're 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 using like you're kind of what you're describing right they're taking You know, for example, Donald Trump's voice imitating it, and it's it's hilarious, and it makes a point. And you know, it might have been him, it might have been Obama or or George W. Bush or whoever. Um, That's interesting. I I, that's that's it is powerful. It really is.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, art is um, can be uh, you know all things to Mm -hmm. anyone. Um, But one of the things that Draws me to interesting art is when it's um, playing with our um, assumptions about social power. Hmm. And I think that's that's a part f- uh, that fascinates me. I love landscapes. I like a, a great you know um, avant-garde film, but I am often drawn to artists um, like Ai Weiwei, who is. Hmm. Um, Creating beautiful objects, interesting objects, experiences, um, taking interesting photographs, sculpting things, hiring other people to do work, but is uh, aware of the way that power, whether it's you know, sort of Chinese governmental power Mm -hmm. or larger kind of art cultural power, which is its own thing. The, you know, the institutions of museums and auction houses that control and say what has value and what doesn't Mm -hmm. collectors. Um, I find that really interesting as well. People who kind of like we all have to do, at least me, we both have to participate in structures of power, but to stay Um, with some bit of, uh, you know, authenticity, also have to kind of critique it, including ourselves, if we're going, I think, to be, you know, good people. Mm.
0: So you bring up um, the Chinese artist. Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei. Thank you for saying his name because I was like, how do I say that again? Um, There was an interesting piece that uh, we had talked about earlier um, that you have there in front of you. Describe that to us. And, and tell us a little bit more about it. I think it's really powerful.
1: Yeah. So he's uh, talking about the refugee crisis, um, refugees coming from Turkey, mm. um, driven, I think, it uh, doesn't say it in this, but probably out of Syria, I think. I would think, yeah. Through, well, around Hungary, if I remember, and then into Germany where they were okay. you know, getting um, at least some official acceptance, although... Mm-hmm. Controversy. So, in this work, the artist, hoping to highlight the severity of the ongoing refugee crisis, tied the striking orange vest to pillars of the Quartzer House Berlin to command the attention of the general public. Um, so, what I think is great about this, and he actually did a work like this after an um, uh, earthquake destroyed... Um, a bunch of schools in China a few years before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that these are these in this case we've got these um, orange vests and in that work he used children's backpacks. Oh man. And what yeah. was happening in both? Uh, what's interesting in both cases is he's kind of individualizing. He's mm-hmm. taking these things that are physically connected to um, someone's suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened with the children's backpacks is all these schools were built um, really poorly because of the corruption. Mm -hmm. And so in this earthquake, um, you know, hundreds of children died because some Mm. corrupt official was getting kickbacks from the construction company and letting them use poor materials. Wow. So he actually did research to actually kind of figure out the, you know, how many kids at each place had died and put the backpacks up to symbolize that. Um, and I think, you know, this work as well is that tension between the, I think, was it Stalin who said, you know, you um, um, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but a mass amount of deaths is a statistic and one death is a uh, tragedy. Ah, uh-huh. um, Yeah. And I think that that tension that we face when mm. we're confronted with huge kind of social um, upheaval is oh you know it's a lot of things mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I don't even know how to wrap my head around. You become numb to it like that, but thinking about the individual and connecting us to the physical um, in Catholic theology mm-hmm. in icons, there's something I have to give. Uh, former professor credit for this um, because I didn't grow up with this understanding, but there's different rankings of icons. So if it touched Jesus, say a thorn in the crown and it shows up in a cathedral that has a higher ranking than other um, um, uh, objects like Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a um, book which didn't actually, so in this case, physically it like penetrated into the mm-hmm. skin of Jesus, so it has value. So I think there's a, at least a thorn at like Notre Dame in Paris. Mm-hmm. But other things, as they are more removed, so maybe it touched the uh, disciple, mm. or it touched something that touched a disciple, the farther removed, the the icon is the less value it has and that connection what's called the indexical um is part of what drives our interest in going to a museum and seeing a work of art that mm. picasso actually touched or monet you know you can see the brush mark that monet made mm-hmm. so you know when a artist connects us to an individual and a, and a body that suffered or you know had to go through, um, whatever tragedy we're talking about, I find that really powerful. Hmm.
0: No, I agree. Yeah. Good points. Um, you know, there's another, um, work of art that we had talked about a little bit where, um, and maybe you can kind of describe it to us. It's called EPA regulations. Um, I thought it was interesting because you know, it takes something that you hear about in the news. Uh, I don't know if this was based. I think it was based off of the Flint, Michigan um, situation there. But it takes that and it makes it really powerful looking to me. I mean, I, I, I looked at this and it makes a point. Tell us, describe it to us.
1: Um. So. Um I guess I can just read it here. So in this conceptual piece, EPA regulations is a powerful and visual reminder of what environmental injustice looks like. Implied are the effects of race and politics on a human right as simple as clean and safe drinking water. Um, what we've got here, uh, and I have only seen the image that you you, you sent me before, but we've got uh, glass and we've got a faucet and... Um, the water looks disgusting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, is it sludge? Yeah. I just, but it's, yeah, I'm like, wow, that's.
1: And I think, you know, uh, you're responding to it in a visceral way, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing about someone in Flint, Michigan, having to drink water with lead, you know, you can only really measure that lead. It it has to be made Mm -hmm. tangible, which is a, which is a struggle. I think, folks who care about spirituality face because we're dealing with the immaterial Mm -hmm. uh, things that are unseen. Mm -hmm. I think great communicators make it seen, make us connect to it in a sensory way.
0: Which is what Jesus did when he told parables. Would you consider that a form of, I mean, storytelling, narrative... Art in a way, absolutely. You okay, know,
1: I think his miracles are, are oh. really interesting. I hate maybe this is too controversial, but <laughs> performance art, <laughs> right? I mean, uh. he, he, Jesus certainly could have said like "You're healed," uh-huh. but getting down in the dirt, spitting on dirt, putting it on someone's eyes, yeah. Um, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, is is something that um. Is in a way really profound to Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. You know, I think Jesus. We, you know, when pastors are talking about the, you know, the Passion Week, you know, there's a. They seem to do be more interesting when they're drawing object lessons out of Jesus's actions, say around washing the disciples' feet, which again is performance art. He's trying to, in that case, make a point, mm-hmm. but there's also the physicality of it that mm-hmm. is um, is helpful, I think, for us as, you know, in this case, you know, 21st century humans trying to grapple with a kind of profound spiritual truth of divine and human incarnated in mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. Um, Somehow, taking away a sense of sin and guilt, but also calling us to a greater human community. I mean, it's like (laughs) it's not easy. (laughs) This thing called metaphysics. (laughs) Yeah, that's neat. Hmm.
0: Cool. So I got to ask you the age-old question: Does art imitate life, or does life imitate art? You're you're the art guy. You got (laughs) to tell
1: me. You know, one of my favorite quotes. On that is Picasso, mm-hmm. who said, "Art is the lie that tells us the truth." Hmm. So
0: I have to think about that for yeah, a while. Yeah.
1: So what I think is going on there is art is a lie. It's artifice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big tension in art, whether you're, you're talking about, um, you know, representational art, realism, mm-hmm. or what we think of as like abstraction or non-objectivity. And the reality is that um, when people are looking at art, they're looking at a, something that's fake, which can drive a lot of folks who perhaps think of themselves as realists, crazy. Why should I go to a museum and look at this weird stuff this art, this artist you know, says is important? What if I don't understand what it means? It can be intimidating or it can just be off-putting. But I think that it is actually a really good um, kind of almost a, um, a it's like a sandbox for us as, as humans where uh, it can kind of shrink down our reality in a way that confronts us with a little slice of truth. Hmm. But it's in the space of a lie, just like, you know, when, um, kids are playing, they're playing with their Legos and constructing some kind of human relationship to some sort of vehicle or building or they're playing house with a doll house or all of those sort of things are ways for, I think, us to um, kind of enter into this really profound thing of being humans connected to each other. So what I love about that is that You know, sure, the art world is bizarre. You know, an artwork sells for a hundred million dollars. That makes no sense. But that reminds me that also, you know, companies with CEOs making an absurd amount of money um, while their workers are suffering without health care makes no sense. Mm. And Mm -hmm. the fact is, that reminds us that both things are driven by market forces that also (laughs) we think we can connect to and maybe help us. Um, survive as humans, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, they're really powerful and they can be irrational.
0: True. So how can Christians do justice with art? Um, Share with us any, any closing thoughts you have on just art and justice and and how Christians can be involved in that, in that space.
1: You know, I think one of the, because, um, well, I think we can throw off a little of the tyranny of um, uh, institutional control with art um, because we um, are individuals. There's often a tension between um, what we believe and what the community believes. And that is an important tension because some folks can get way out of balance and some folks uh just keep their nose to the grindstone and you know maybe act like they believe everything but are really hollow inside. And I think art is a way of of existing and breathing in that tension because it or let me say creativity is a way of living and breathing mm. in that tension. Um, We kind of discourage too much creativity in Christian theology, Mm -hmm. but um, that's okay. We don't have to say everything. What happens if you explore a spiritual truth to you visually Hmm. or performatively Mm -hmm. that gets to something that's true for you that you maybe haven't heard other people articulate? So I think Mm -hmm. art actually can help us in our spiritual practice, make uh, make a way for our own understandings that uh, that's safe and that can actually be freeing or community building. Hey,
0: before you go, there's one more thing. We'd actually wrapped up our interview when Alex realized he hadn't talked about one important piece of art that he wanted to discuss. So here it is. So let's talk about uh, another piece of art here that is, uh, we'll describe it for us.
1: Sure, this one I'm sure some folks have seen before. It's been around um, since the 80s. It's called Nonviolence, um, and it was a reaction to the murder of John Lennon. Um, Mm. And it is a large... um, Very large. ...giant... (laughs) I think bronze um revolver and the end of the revolver is tied into a knot which I love just thinking about the physicality again because this is a material that's not supposed to move uh-huh. and yet when uh, artists bend um you know metal in really interesting ways that we're not you know familiar with it becomes uh I think provocative and interesting ways, but it's a work that's about violence and nonviolence, but Mm -hmm. also guns. Mm -hmm. Um, why did you uh, pick (laughs) this one?
0: (laughs) I I have a complicated relationship with (laughs) guns. You know, my wife would, um, love it if I didn't have any guns at all. And, you know, I honestly could tell you from my heart that I wish there were no guns in the world, you know, like on one level. On another level, I'm like, well, they're here, and so, you know, let's make the best use of them we can. I'm completely in favor of common sense gun law reform and sure. and, and restrictions. Um, I don't think citizens need uh, your everyday average citizen needs um, a machine gun or a relative thereof. You know, personally, I, I don't I don't see a, a need for that. Um, yeah. They're made simply to kill as many people as quickly as you can. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I can see how guns can also be used. I mean, I, I, use mine to, you know, kill predators that try to kill my beautiful chickens, you know? Um, although I'm, my aim isn't that great.
1: <laughs> do but, you enjoy firing them? Like, do you enjoy them? Yeah. yeah. I'm a guy, you know, yeah. it's kind
0: of like, you know, you like to blow stuff up or, you know, I, I enjoy that part. Um, the, the, Unfortunate part is my son, five year old son, is obsessed with guns. Even though, you know, I have never promoted this. It's just sure. a guy thing. I, how about you? I mean, is this?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I grew up with like shooting BB guns, and okay. I remember you shooting, were a heathen then, shooting cause. one of my brothers with a BB gun just oh, because dude. we were having too much fun, and I thought it would be interesting. <laughs>
0: and you didn't turn out to be a murderer, like no, a mass. No, okay, all right, no. this is good.
1: You know, I think, I, you know, again. Art is about the material world yeah. first, and then we can talk about ideas um, that are connected to that. So I think you know, guns can be really interesting objects of uh, physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, they are incredibly powerful. I mean, that's one of the things that makes them so significant in human history. Yeah, because they're so effective at at ending you know at firing a projectile through things um, mm-hmm. in ways that humans had tried before, but really, you know, this is, inc- you know, it's, right, you know, amazing what a gun can do. And I think we have yeah. to recognize some of those basic things. And I think a work of art like this reminds us of that. They can also be fetish objects. They're uh-huh. so powerful that it can be exciting. They're symbolic. So when people are talking about taking away guns, it's, it can be connected to taking away someone's identity in in really, you know, problematic or threatening ways that really shut down the debate as well. How do you think that we could talk
0: about um, guns today in a way that would, you know, bypass some of those emotions? Because, you know, they are symbolic to a lot of people of individual rights of freedom yeah um even though honestly let's just be honest your AR15
1: <laughs>
0: isn't going to stand a chance against an RPG a tank sure. even a drone with sure. you know some little hellfire missiles or whatever you know so this whole concept of like oh my AR15 is a symbol of my independence from federal government oppression is is absurd yeah. you know it, it really is i mean police have armored cars and you know yeah. the military has all that stuff so it, it's it's a it's a phantom in a, in some ways sure. but it's still symbolic even though it's not i mean it's a lie in a way yeah We're talking about art mm-hmm. so how can we talk about this do you think
1: well i think
0: you're the you're expert d- on this right no
1: i i mean i <laughs> <laughs> i want to i want to hear <laughs> I, you know i think breaking it down you okay. know and i think it's important to actually, um, so if we're talking about guns, actually talk about the the object itself mm. um, and what it means to someone who's, let's say, if I'm talking to someone who is, you know, um, uh, you know, on the far side of the NRA um, debate about you know, assault rifles, for instance. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to them, and they're going to tell me what AR really means, (laughs) Armalite rifle, and I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to appreciate some of the history that goes along with that. Um, I'm going to, you know, I I think it would be important to shoot the weapon together, perhaps, um, and talk about what it means to them, because I think so much of the debate gets short-circuited by um, a sort of quick, you know, assumptions that we have about people on the other side. So I think from there I would want them to go and, you know, listen to someone who has suffered in a kind of mass school shooting and hear about how not just maybe from a parent or a child or a teacher, but also from a law enforcement officer who you know, dedicated their life to well, laying it down mm-hmm. um, to save mm-hmm. um, those. You know, uh, us in society from someone who is using that weapon, and I think that would be a a, a way of getting into um, that debate and maybe help us to understand what that object crafted by an artist. In fact, I love. Some of the early um, well late 19th century, early 20th century artists are actually in conversation with you know Colt and Remington about the physical beauty of weapons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. painting about that, doing um, art uh, uh, sculpture about it. So let's just recognize that we that this has like any um, object uh, multivalent, Symbolic meaning.
0: This isn't about guns, but it is interesting to talk about. So let's talk about it for a few more minutes, if that's okay. So what about Christians and guns? Mm. Um, I I do find it curious when I talk to Christians who seem to value, well, let's put it this way. Guns to them are so important for um, fighting against tyranny and this kind of thing. And I'm like, how does that fit into your Christianity? That's what I I want to ask them and I've actually explored that with a few people, but what are your thoughts on okay, let, let's just talk about, you know, this idea of like persecution, tribulation that a lot of Christians believe in, like yeah. in time tribulation or time of trouble, whatever sure. it might be and guns. How do those two things fit together? (laughs) You know, as a Christian, (laughs) should I be trying to arm myself to defend myself against a tyrannical government, especially in the context of persecution? What what do you think?
1: You know, I actually spent some time um, when I was growing up around folks like that um, uh, out in the deep wilds of Washington state. Oh, Eastern (laughs) Washington. (laughs) Yeah. Eastern Washington. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, you know, that got, it's so interesting because it was so wrapped up in the culture around them and the media that they were consuming. And it was so interesting that I could be an Adventist who moved from one part of the country and had these sort of associations with what it meant to be a Christian, but also what it meant to sort of what was my relationship with the state mm-hmm. and with the, you know, the end times and then find that same theology has get all these other meanings um, connected to it. Um, You know, I, you, you just, you don't see Jesus as a as someone who promoted in i can in any way um violence that was i mean that was done to jesus he corrected peter when he tried to defend jesus so i think that is that has to be a starting point for any christian what did jesus do what did jesus teach Mm -hmm. and you know then we have to have an honest conversation about, okay, how close do we want to be like Jesus? (laughs) Like that's, you know, and, you know, the state was very clearly part of the, um, the, um, mechanism that killed Jesus. But it's also important to recognize that, um, theology was also a part of that. And that when we're talking about, those two things, how our theology connects with the state, we have to recognize that the teachings of Jesus trump all of that. Use the word trump.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Email us your comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes of the Do Justice podcast. Our email is dojusticenow at icloud.com.